someone who is good at uh, doing uh, what needs to be done then and there, uh, uh, or you know, here and now, or, or are you the kind of person who just puts it off, whatever it happens to be? Uh, I know what I need to do, just don't want to do it, uh, so I'll ignore it, I'll distract myself, uh, I'll do something else. There's the washing and the cleaning and the cooking. Uh, there's work that needs to be started or finished. Uh, there's relationships th- that require attention. What's that saying? Uh, it's a bit of a cliche, I suppose, but never leave that till tomorrow, uh, which can be done today. Um, it's knockoff time. Uh, an old workmate of mine would, would yell out, tools down. It's knockoff time. I'd say, just give me another five and we'll save an hour in the morning with pack up and set up and all, all of that. He'd say, why do today what can be done tomorrow? <laughs> uh, not too concerned about getting things done, that bloke. Uh, whether or not you're a get it done today kind of a person or a put it off until tomorrow uh, kind of a person. The, the emphasis you noticed as Steve was reading for us of the passage this afternoon is today. Uh, you, you notice that three times in Hebrews chapter 3 verse 1 through to chapter 4 verse 13, the author quotes those words from Psalm 95, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. It, it's a call to respond today, isn't it? Uh, This afternoon, a call to respond not with hardness of heart, disobedience, I don't want to do it, but with trust and obey. Uh, And it's always today. I mean, when tomorrow comes, tomorrow will be today, won't it? It's the present continuous. And so the big question, this passage, I reckon, leads us to reflect on is how are we going as a community and how are you going as an individual at responding to God's word today, present continuous, this afternoon, now, tomorrow, in every moment. Do you know, it's a warning passage in Hebrews. We've been looking at Hebrews for a few weeks now, and this is the second warning in the book. The first is at the beginning of chapter 2. It's a warning passage because the original reader, they were on the drift Uh, For them, the drift away from Jesus was back to the old covenant, uh, converted from Judaism to uh, a faith in Jesus. And you might remember, if you've been around the last couple of weeks, our our author's methodology, the antidote to the drift or the guard against the drift, what does he do? He points us to Jesus. Jesus. And so, so far in this uh, sermon or letter, the, the author has pointed us to the, the sufficiency of the, of the eternal son and the grand salvation that believers have in him. In chapter one, that great memory verse, in the past God spoke at many times and in various ways through the, the prophets. But in these last days, finally he's spoken through his His son, the the glorious eternal son, the one through whom the father made the universe and sustains it. The the son who's the exact representation of God. You want to get to know God. You you look at this 
Son, the glorious Son of God, greater than the angels. He made them there to worship him. That's chapter 1. And then chapter 2, he became human. The glorious Son became not an angel or an animal, but a person, fully God and fully man, that he might be our representative. Suffering as we do in this life, freeing his people from the fear of of death, winning victory over sin, death, and the, the devil making atonement for our sins. And so such is the connection with the believer and this eternal son who became a man. His death becomes ours. His holiness becomes ours. His glory becomes ours. The believer has solidarity with the eternal son. And so we're looking at Hebrews here and we come to chapter 3 verse 1 where Steve started reading and we read, therefore holy brothers and sisters, holy, not because of anything we've done, but because of the person and work of Jesus and brothers and sisters, because through the person and work of Jesus, we can be adopted into God's family. Therefore, holy brothers and sisters who share in the heavenly calling, fix your thoughts on Jesus, whom we acknowledge as our apostle and high priest. And that word apostle, you may know, it just means sent one. And this is the only time in the New Testament that Jesus is referred to as our apostle. But the Father sends the Son into the world to rescue us from sin and death. And priest, a priest is a mediator, isn't it? And Jesus, our high priest, the only mediator between us and God. And you reckon the author could just stop there? That'll do. Uh, That'll stop the drift, wouldn't you say? There's enough for us to spend the rest of our lives mulling over just in those first couple of chapters and you throw in verse 1 of chapter 3. But you notice he switches now to this idea of faithfulness. And we see this in the first six verses of chapter 3. Just look at verse 2, if your Bible's there. He was faithful, that's Jesus, was faithful to the one who appointed him. The Father appoints the Son, just as Moses was faithful in all God's house. And you've got that memory verse. In the past, God spoke through the prophets at many times and in various ways. And you know Moses is the big name prophet. He's the man in the Old Testament uh, leading that rescue from slavery in Egypt. He's on the mountain and receiving the law, the Ten Commandments and more. But verse 3, Jesus is worthy of greater honour than Moses. Why? Well, it works, you know, if someone builds a house, the person who builds the house has greater honour than the house itself. Jesus is the builder, the creator of all things, including the creator of God's people. Moses was just one of God's people. And the drift for the original reader is back to the old covenant. They think much of Moses. And our writer's saying, yes, Moses is great, but Jesus is is better. And see more of Moses' role in verse 5. We read, Moses was faithful as a servant in all of God's house, bearing witness to what would be spoken by God in the future. 
And so we have Moses, as we do with the rest of the Old Testament witness, pointing forward to the future revelation of Jesus. In these last days, he's spoken to us by the Son. Uh, And so we have the Old Testament, the law, the sacrificial system, the priesthood, the tabernacle, and more. They all find their fulfillment in, in him. You notice, though, that the faithfulness of Moses... And the faithfulness of Jesus gives rise to a call for faithfulness uh, from the reader. The original reader back then in the first century. But today, you and I. Uh, Verse 6, we read, But Christ is faithful as the Son over God's house, and where his house, if indeed we hold firmly to our confidence, And the hope in which we glory. That is holding firmly to the glorious son. Who became man, the God man. And not some other thing. Persevering in him. Pressing on in him. And so chapter 1 and 2 we've gazed at Jesus if you like. And now the author brings us to a moment of self-reflection. There's a call to be faithful. And not be unfaithful like those Israelites of old. You see this? Now that the author picks up Psalm 95, uh, it's verse 7 to 19. Don't be unfaithful, he's saying, like those guys of old. Now let me read from 7 to 11. Uh, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. As you did in the rebellion during the time of testing in the wilderness, where your ancestors tested and tried me, though for 40 years they saw what I did. That is why I was angry with that generation. I said their hearts are always going astray and they have not known my ways. So I declared on oath in my anger, they shall never enter my rest. Such a heavy warning, isn't it? Um, this is the community that Moses led out of slavery in Egypt. They'd experienced so much, hey. Uh, the plagues in Egypt, the, the miraculous crossing of the Red Sea and more and more and more and more. But it wasn't long before their hearts began to harden. They grumbled. What, are, what did you bring us out here to die? They thought about, we'd rather go back and be slaves in Egypt again. And ultimately, they refused to trust God to enter the promised land. That that rescue, though, was just a shadow of of what we have in Jesus, wasn't it? A a pointing forward to the greater salvation that that we have in the the glorious Son. In chapter 3, verse 14, we read, We have come to share in Christ if indeed we hold our original conviction firmly to the very end. See, it is no good starting out following Jesus if we don't go on with him. Uh, Perseverance is a mark of saving faith. We we, we come across this. uh, You hear the, the message of Jesus at some event. Maybe it's a church service. And you're driven to pray in response, uh, God, please, please forgive me. 
for not living your way. Uh, thanks uh, for Jesus' sacrificial death in my place. Please help me to live for you. And you're at that event, a church service or whatever else, but if that past experience has no ongoing impact, present life, well, this, this is the warning. Today, present continuous. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. In Psalm 95, that was first applied to the Israelites of old. In Hebrews, it was first applied uh, to the early church, but this afternoon it applies to us. Today it applies to you and to me. A hard heart is a heart that isn't open to God's word, the Bible. It's a heart that isn't open to being wrong, a heart that isn't teachable. It's ugly and it's a dangerous position to be in. Those of you who have children may have seen it in a rebellious child. You know it in yourself. We know it in ourselves. Dad wants me to do this and I'm not going to do it. And we do that with God, don't we? Today, if you hear his voice, and we pray, soften my heart, God. Help me to want to live your way. In verse 12 and 13, we read, See to it, brothers and sisters, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. But encourage one another daily, as long as it is called today, present continuous so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. Someone said, why is the ministry of chapter 3, verse 13, so absent from our churches? That is being accountable to one another, encouraging one another in our faith. We're not in this on our own. This person said it may, of course, be done badly but we badly need it to be done well. And you get a text message from someone who misses you on a Sunday afternoon and you might want to just ignore it. You think, ah, they're hassling me, leave me alone. Instead, we should praise God. Someone cares about my eternal salvation. They want me to persevere in Christ with them to the end. Or there's the fellow believer who says to you, look, I'm not sure about what you're doing in this or that area of life, that relationship you're beginning. It just doesn't seem wise. I'm not sure that it's going to be good for your growing up in Christ. And it's a hard conversation, isn't it? It takes humility to hear it. And we praise God that someone had the guts to have the difficult conversation. These sorts of conversations. How's your Bible reading going? You're getting stuck into the Word? Your prayer life? Is there something that I can be praying for you in particular that you're struggling with at the moment? It's wonderful, isn't it? That we're not in this on our own. 
but there's brothers and sisters. God gives us each other. It's interesting, one of the reasons we do formal membership, it's to give each other permission, permission to be accountable to each other, that we might be growing up together in Christ, persevering in him until the end. Um, I've got one of these watches that everyone seems to be getting these days. It monitors the time, uh, <laughs> as the old watches used to do. But it also uh, monitors how many laps of the swimming pool I do, which means I can compete with Jen. I am winning, by the way. Though she hasn't swum for I don't know how long. Um, it also monitors your sleep. Uh, Apparently, I fall asleep earlier than 92% of the people who wear this kind of watch. Uh, And I have longer deep sleep than 21% of the people who wear the watch. I don't know what that deep sleep thing is anyway. Um, Anyway, I love sleep, uh, perhaps more than your average person. Uh, We all love rest, though, don't we? We love rest. Rest from work, uh, rest from anxiety, rest from striving and competing as though we have to prove ourselves, rest from the, the difficulties, all the many and varied difficulties that we face in this life. You notice there's this wonderful theme of rest that just runs all the way through the Bible from the beginning to the end. God God finishes creation on the seventh day. What does he do? He he enters rest. And we see that, that story of old, the Israelites, they didn't enter rest, at least that generation that Psalm 95 is talking about. They didn't enter the promised land, which was to be rest. And you imagine the promised land, a land flowing with milk and honey, as it's described in the Old Testament, a place of abundance. And you imagine getting there and just going, ah, they didn't enter. Why? The end of chapter 3, because of due to their unbelief. They didn't trust the Lord to give But when we get to chapter 4, you you notice that our our author encourages us, his reader, to enter God's rest. Verse 1, since the promise of of entering his rest still stands, let us be careful that none of you be found to have fallen short of it. See, in chapter 4, verses 1 through to 13, we see that the land of Canaan, that promised land of, of old, was not God's highest goal for his people, even back then. His great goal was that they would join him in his heavenly eternal rest, the grand salvation that we have in, in Jesus. See verse 2 and 3 of chapter 4. It reads, For we also have had the good news proclaimed to us, just as they did. But the message they heard was of no value to them, because they did not share the faith of those who obeyed. Now we who have believed enter that rest. And, And to trust in Jesus is to rest in him, isn't it? Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, 
and I will give you rest, says Jesus in Matthew. Now, I love it when a newish believer says, I have this peace. I've never had it before. We collapse into Jesus. No longer striving to be right with God. No, no longer trying to prove ourselves to the people around us. No longer worried about the future. And while this rest is present, you can have it today, this afternoon, coming into, collapsing into Jesus like you would a hammock. It's also future, verse 11. Let us therefore make every effort to enter that rest so that no one will perish by following their example of disobedience. Uh, so this afternoon we have this call to persevere, to be faithful as Moses was and Jesus is an invitation to enter God's promised rest. And it's all on the basis of that warning. I mean, it's, we've looked at chapter 1 and chapter 2, the person and work of Jesus. And so what do I do? Well, today, if you hear his voice, don't harden your heart. Today, if you hear his voice, don't harden your heart, as the toddler says, no, I want to do it my way. No, we, please, Lord, help me do it your way. So having outlined the sufficiency of Jesus, we have a call to respond, to not harden ourselves to the living and active word of God, the penetrating word of God, but to be moved to trust and obey. And I reckon if you're going to walk away with something from this, well, we look at Jesus and we remember today is present continuous. Today, if you hear his voice, as you go to the fridge and you think, oh, this is going to be me being disobedient to God in some way, uh, when you think about not reading your Bible or not turning up at church or just making a decision that's contrary to his wisdom, don't harden your heart and we pray that God would soften at the same time. So how about we do that now? Heavenly Father, we, we thank you for the way that Hebrews shakes us up. Um, Lord, we pray that we would be a people who have soft hearts to you, uh, that Active disobedience would not be the way for us as individuals or a community. Uh, and that we would hear your voice in the scriptures. And that it would be our delight to live for you. Lord, forgive us for the ways that we have been drifting and we thank you, too, for the sufficiency of Jesus. We thank you that the eternal Son became a man, the God-man, who has won victory over sin and death. Lord, help us trust in him and live for him day by day. 
Help us to work out our salvation with fear and trembling as you are at work in us. And we thank you, Lord, that you don't start a project without carrying it to completion. And so we pray that you would carry us to completion, that you would shape and change and hang on to us and help us to enjoy you forever. Amen. I'll invite our musos up. Uh, and we're going to sing our final song. Um, we're having dinner afterwards, though, so please hang around for that. You might say grace at the, after oh, we sing, do, do you reckon? Yeah, happy again. Um,